Hi guys, this is Tony from Shelf Help and welcome to a new episode of our podcast all about celebrating personal development and inspiring better mental health through self-help. This show was born at the beginning of lockdown in the UK as a way to share strategies and advice on staying calm and positive and connected as we all navigated huge changes to our lives brought on by the pandemic. That was six months ago and we're now recording our third podcast series, still sharing life advice from our favourite experts and authors, but now with a view to looking forward to how we handle the rest of 2020, to where we go and how we can grow from here. Today's guest comes with a warning. There will be swearing, guys, maybe lots of it. So this is not an episode for little or sensitive ears. This is your opportunity to turn us off or, if you're still here, turn us up and prepare for lols as author Jodie Eckleberry Hunt introduces her new book, Move On, Motherfucker. Live, laugh and let shit go. Jodie is a counsellor and health psychologist who swears her way to sanity using CBT, mindfulness, humour, positive psychology and profanity. With over 25 years of professional experience helping others find meaning in this crazy world, Jodie calls herself a recovering people pleaser, control freak, warrior and motherfucker and I'm sure we all recognise ourselves somewhere in that description. Jodie's new book is for anybody tired of beating themselves up or letting others walk all over them. So are you ready to change patterns of self-defeating behaviour? Are you ready to change the negative things you say to yourself? Are you ready to let go of trying to control everything? Time to meet Jodie and her tried and tested, if a little twisted way to transcend that negative self-talk. Hello Michigan, hello Jodie, welcome to the Shelf Help podcast. It's great to be here, thank you for having me. So I've given the um, I've given everybody a warning that there might be swearing. There will be swearing. But let's talk about the title of the book and the t- subtitle. Why is swearing and laughter the best way to deal with 2020? Do you think? Well, it's a shit show. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, I think that, and and just to be clear, the title of the book is not about oh, we just move on from everything and just let it go. It makes it sound so wonderfully easy. Unfortunately, it isn't that easy. But the uh, MOF, which is what I use for move on, motherfucker, so I can remind myself very quickly, MOF, move on, is reminding ourselves that we get stuck in certain patterns and certain uh, thoughts that drag us down. And I think it's really focused on all the things that are so out of control. And month is really about reminding yourself, what can I control here? What do I want to own? What is my part to play? And I got to move on from the rest and I got to let that go. And the other piece that is super important is if we can do that with a little laughter, particularly at ourselves, not in an unkind way, but in saying, you know, look, there I go again. Um, being that crazy motherfucker who who does this or that. Uh, and again, the caveat is this is never meant to be self-abusive or uh, a way of being mean to oneself, but it's talking to oneself as a friend. And like you say, being able to smile about something just takes the seriousness out of it and helps us deal with it in a different way, I suppose. When did you first start using these kind of methods in your own life? Yeah, what is interesting is I think a lot of, if we're honest as therapists, a lot of what we learn to be useful is what we first learned with ourselves. And I found myself in a work situation that I would easily consider to be toxic. And I had 
an open door policy. And sooner or later, everybody is walking in my office, telling me their stories. And, and I wanted to help because that's what I do. And I just felt like I was drowning. I couldn't help. But I got together with a colleague and as a way to cope, we just started cussing all over the place. And it was a way to get each other to laugh, really a belly laugh. But as with anything, if you complain too much, you, you start to ruminate and then that even becomes negative. So one day my colleague was uh, complaining about the same thing that we had complained about numerous days before. And I just looked at him and I said, you need to move on, motherfucker. <laughs> and he stopped and our, our, our gaze caught. And then we really burst out laughing. But it was a moment of knowing we were choosing our own pain. We were choosing to play the role of the motherfucker in the scenario. The scenario is what it is. The question was, what do we want to do with it? And um, so CBT is about identifying your negative thoughts uh, or your dysfunctional thoughts and arguing back with them. Mindfulness is being aware that they're happening and asking yourself, what do I really want to focus on in this moment? But if you, the research, as I found out later, shows that if you add in some profanity in a targeted way, it actually helps your brain kick past some of that emotional pain and guilt. It's a way of generating laughter and really calling out the negative stuff. It's like an, it's the humor is the antidote for all of that pain. And there's actual bona fide research by neuroscientists and cognitive psychologists and linguists that show that if you're walking through a room and you stub your toe and you yell, oh shit, you actually have a lower pain report than somebody who was just told to hold it in. So the thought is, it actually works with emotional pain too. Because that's that's our instinct straight away to swear, isn't it, at something? But now it's good to know there's a reason behind it. Yeah, and the, the thought is, just a little bit more, is that we're told from a very young age, you shouldn't cuss, little kids, you know, you shouldn't do that, that's ruffian behavior or whatever. And so we encode profanity in a different part of the brain. So it's special, it's considered taboo. Mm. So that's why just using those words in that targeted way, actually does provide a cathartic release. Yeah, we've been, uh, our book of the moment is actually a Tony Robbins book. And when I first announced it, a lot of the, um, a lot of the resistance from people was they didn't like his swearing and they didn't like that style. And I've since, since reading the book and learning more about him, this is exactly why he uses it to shock the brain. So to make change, because like you say, that's, that's something that is taboo for us. So it makes us look at things in a different way. So does your motherfucker have a name? Like a lot of people I speak to give their, give that the negative voice or the internal chatter a name. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I personally mm -hmm. don't. I, I do, by the way, talk to myself sometimes out loud if I'm alone, but I mine is mostly, no way, motherfucker, you're not going to do that today. I know you're bullshit and you need to stop. So it's that kind, but it's again, like a friend would talk to me. So you're, you're a practicing psychologist, right? At the moment. I am. Cool. What does what does the typical day in your life look like now, and um, and how different is that than six months ago or so? So I am super busy right now, super busy. Mm -hmm. And as I explain it, it is I think layers upon layers upon layers of anxiety provoking situations. Uh, mm -hmm. At least 
you know, in the United States, uh, as with everywhere else, we have COVID. So then there are concerns about the health, personal health and family health. And then lockdown, not being able to do the things that we enjoy doing or being able to spend time around all the people that we want to be around, particularly with the holidays coming up. There is There are financial concerns about the markets and keeping a job and having enough money to pay the bills and food shortages. There are There's political division, extreme political division in the United States. There are racial tensions. I mean, it just goes on. And, and kids, like, uh, are, are my kids okay if they can't go to school? And who's going to take care of them? And are they learning? So people who I haven't seen in years are coming back. <laughs> um, and everybody has anxiety. And a lot of it is normal anxiety. So I would say that I am super busy helping people process all that is going on and really coming up with a self-care plan that makes sense for them. And to be quite honest with you, people have forgotten about the basics of self-care. And so sometimes I'm telling them things and they're just like, oh yeah, I didn't, that, I never even thought about that because our minds are so caught up in the bigger picture that we've forgotten. Sure. The catastrophe, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's quite, it's, it's totally expected to be anxious, I suppose, at the moment, because there are all these situations that you're talking about. Um, but remembering to, to drink enough water, to get enough sleep, all that kind of stuff, I suppose, goes out the window when you're uh, so anxious about the future. What um, practices do you recommend then to your clients? And are there any that you use yourself to stay healthy? Yeah. So, what I'm going to say may sound simple, but again, it's it's what I'm seeing on the ground. And mm-hmm. I'm telling people that it really, really does help to have a schedule. If you wake up and you think, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, and then you lay in bed and you're not doing anything, you've lost some purpose. And I think it creates this overall lethargy. Um, so I'm talking about for people who maybe are working from home or, or during lockdown when there was less of a a schedule that they had to follow, but I say, get up every day at the same time, get dressed and make your schedule the day before and schedule reading time, schedule exercise time, schedule a family movie night or game night and give your day some structure because anxiety thrives in vague situations. So again, there's all this unpredictability external to us and we can't control that but we can control what we choose. We're reminding ourselves we can control what we choose to do with our our schedule, our choices during the day. Uh, and as, again, simple as it sounds, it's very impactful. And I am also a huge fan of journaling. I, I call it like an emotional enema. So just bearing witness to the feelings that you have and honoring the things, the things that are horrifying around you, getting it out. And sometimes seeing the things that we think or observe on paper can really draw attention to the catastrophizing. Uh, so journaling is a personal favorite. I also uh, really, really, really love exercise. I think that that's the best medication that we have for uh, mild to moderate depression and anxiety, as well as just a general overall boost. And for me, that's the one thing that's non-negotiable. And ordinarily, 
again, I, I will, I do, I set my clock six o'clock in the morning, regardless of whether I have to get up, I get up and sometimes I'm a little bit slower and I allow myself to be that way. But I, I say, you know, you're going to feel so much better once you do X, Y, or Z and have something to look forward to. Um, again, I can control that. Yeah, and because you scheduled it the day before, it's yes. it's 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 on the list, isn't it? So then you're using less willpower. I suppose it's less of a choice, isn't it? It's just something that you're getting into the habit of doing. Absolutely, and you know, I mean, I could add in meditation time or whatever it is, but it has to be individual to the person who's doing their own schedule. It's knowing what works best for you. And the other thing, I, I just I do have to throw in. Um, I I absolutely support mask wearing. I think it's important and social distancing and all the like. But I, I do really feel like um, we have to be super careful because I think the biggest contagion we have right now is fear. Now, there are things to be afraid of for sure, but fear can't control us because then we're irrational. It is saying, okay, I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? And understanding that so that we can decide what to do with it. Because I really feel like we're going to lose our minds if we're not seeing other people's faces. Uh, our brains are wired to see faces in person. And I'm not talking about unmasked face. I'm just talking about seeing people in person and not initially on the computer screen. I recognize that we shouldn't be doing parties and things like that, but there has to be a middle ground is my point. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. This book, uh, Move On Motherfucker, wasn't written for this specific time. It was it was planned to to come out anyway, um, but it's, it's very relevant to all kinds of uh, anxiety-inducing situations, so it, it can be used now. Absolutely, and, and especially getting at that fear and what am I going to do with it that is productive and what am I doing to make my situation worse? Yeah. Who did you write the book for in, initially? I uh, talked about where the, the phrase came from. Um, what do you want to be the biggest takeaway from this book for people? Well, so there is a, an author named Elizabeth Lesser and she wrote a book called Broken Open. And one of the passages in that book really inspired me. And it was understanding that we're all bozos on the bus. And we spend so much of our time thinking, well, there must be a bus for the cool kids. And why am I on the bozo bus? And I wish I weren't here. And there's someplace so much better. But really, part of um, living life is understanding that we're all on the same bus. We're all bozos. And so I, perhaps it's a um, been a coping skill for me doing the things that I do and hearing the horrific things that I hear. I feel like if I can get people to um, understand that we're all in this together and that we're all humans together and we're all going to mess up. And it's okay to mess up and, in fact, laugh at ourselves sometimes. It's not always appropriate to laugh, but to say, you know what, there I go again. And being able to laugh and accept our own humanity truly is healing 
of guilt and shame and pain. And if I can get one or two people to have that message, that's why I wrote the book. I'm always looking for ways to heal and help people accept that, again, we're all in this together. I think I really feel like people need to hear that now. They can't, I don't think we can hear that enough right now. What This is my favorite question. What is one word to describe your relationship with yourself at the moment? <laughs> that is a fabulous question. And the I'm a big believer in the first word that pops into your head is probably the most accurate. And mm-hmm. the first word that popped into my head was conflicted. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm very open in telling people I have generalized anxiety disorder. And the way I describe that is not only do I have anxiety, I have anxiety on steroids. And it says really crazy things to me. And the, so the, I think that conflicted will always be there. But one of the things that I tend to do is I'll set a goal. And when I reach the goal, I will say, oh, well, that really wasn't the goal. This should have been the goal. And it, it's sort of like never accepting good enough. And I, it's like I, um, I'm like a Lucy and um, Charlie Brown, and Lucy tees up the football, and Charlie Brown goes to kick it. I'm both the characters, and then I'm Lucy, and I pull it away and say, "Nope, just kidding." And it is. I, I realize that the drive. They, I think they call that grit. You know, always um, moving the bar higher. That drive is a good thing, but then sometimes it can be a bad thing, and so it's walking that fine line. And that's also the fine line I have to walk with people I see in my office because I hear horrible things and I get it. But I have to say, I can't fix that. But in the here and now, what can we do about it to make it better? And trying to push, but not push too hard. So that's where the conflicted, it's always second guessing and um, trying to go higher, but also being good with, gosh, there was an achievement there. Let's clap. Yeah. And ce- and celebrating the wins, right? Even the small ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you good at following your own advice then? I would say most of the time. And mm. sometimes it, it takes me a, a, a while. Sometimes it's not immediate, but most of the time I am good at following my own advice. So who or what inspires you? I always love to know somebody at your at, at working at your level in psychology and um, now writing the book. How do you make sure you continue to grow and um, yeah, develop? So again, I found this to be, I, I had a very knee jerk reaction to this question. I love what I do. And my kids have asked me, mom, if you could do anything else, if you could start over, what would you do or what would you be? And I, I'm so frustrating to them because I always say, well, I would be a psychologist. And like, no, no, no. If you couldn't be that. And I would say, but I, I, I can't imagine anything else. And so um, one of the reasons why I think I am so fortunate is I get the opportunity to meet the most amazing people. And oftentimes I'll, I'll um, feel like my jaw is hanging open as people tell me the things that they've lived through and survived. 
And there have been times, I swear to you, that I've been thinking in the back of my mind, is this for real? Um, because I, I just can't even fathom these experiences. And I'm thinking, some, surely somebody's going to say, okay, I'm just kidding. But they don't. And um, so what inspires me is often the people who sit across from me and are still kicking it. Um, they are obviously coming to see me because they want to make improvements, but they showed up for the fight. And I am huge for that saying, I say, you know, um, we're always going to have the negative thoughts or anxiety. There will always be challenges, but please show up for that fight. Show up for the fight in your head um, and at least give it a go. And I see people who are showing up for the fight given everything they've been through, that's inspiring to me. And luckily, I it's something I get to see every day. It's just a great reminder. Yeah, absolutely. Real people are the biggest teachers, yeah. Um, have you, on, on your journey then, from um, as you've progressed through your career, have, you, have there been any particular books or teachers that have really um, impacted you? Yeah, and... and there probably aren't going to be any surprises here. Uh, I love Brene Brown. Uh, I, I, I read her, um, I read her writing and it, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, similarly, Rachel Naomi Remen, uh, Kit, kitchen table wisdom and my grandfather's blessing are also very warm, compassionate stories that I love at the same time. I, adore Sarah Knight. Uh, I think all of her writing makes me laugh and it taps into something completely different, but is also healing for me. Uh, I feel less alone when I read her stuff. And um, the the other, a couple of other people I would throw out uh, are um, Russ Harris and John Kabat-Zinn, who write a lot about mindfulness and letting go. I think that they are amazing writers. They're all different pieces I've gotten. And then Simon Sinek, uh, Start With Why, and figuring out purpose and what gives one purpose. Uh, I think all of those things have been um, very instructive to me. We t- you just touched there on mindfulness. And earlier we talked about mindfulness and uh, CBT, cogn- Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, um, as ways to manage uh, anxiety and worry. Are there any particular techniques that um, you could pull out from the book that people could start using using now? Well, I'll tell you the one I think that uh, people resonate, it resonates most with people. And that is the Buddhist story of the second arrow. And I think it really gets to the heart of Mamf, of moving on. And again, that is a part of... Um, recognizing what role am I playing and how do I want to own that? So the Buddhist story of the second arrow is, let's say that I'm walking in the woods. It's a beautiful day, just really enjoying it. And I get struck with an arrow and it's horrible. It's horrific. I'm bleeding. I can't move my arm. It's right through me. Um, It's tragic. I'm in intense pain. So that's the first arrow, clearly. The second arrow is when I start catastrophizing and saying, oh my gosh, 
this is horrible. I can't take this. Why did this happen to me? Oh, what if I, what if I lose my arm? What if I have to go in the hospital and I can't pay the bills? Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get evicted and I could have chronic pain for the rest of my life. Who did this to me? Why? I should never have walked today. And that is like taking another arrow and stabbing oneself over and over. We couldn't control the first one, but we can control what role we play in creating our own suffering. And so that combines the mindfulness, recognizing that we're doing it and saying, really? And um, one of the questions I like to tell people to ask themselves is, if you knew without a doubt that you would die today, would you spend one more moment doing what you're doing and thinking what you're thinking right now? And 99% of the time people say no, because they're worried about um, something they said, or does somebody like me, or getting a project done at work. If you knew you were going to die today, it really drives home what's most important. So that's the mindfulness piece. But um, it's the CBT piece is recognizing that you're doing the catastrophizing and Really, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's next. So why are you torturing yourself? It's like terrorism of oneself. Stop. That's month adding in like, motherfucker, you need to stop that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's been your biggest lesson from the year so far? And how do you feel about the future? I would say that uh, I, I have really to be honest with you, struggled in uh, 2020. Um, I've struggled as much as other people, for sure. Uh, I'm always looking for the lesson. And that is part of mindfulness is learning to, okay, I can observe what's going on. I don't have to judge it. And one of the insights that I've gotten is that all of the ugliness that has been exposed in the world, or at least in the United States. Now we know it's there. I think it was, you know, of course it was always there, but we, you couldn't talk about it or do something with it because it was hidden. And now it's out in the open. And I think the biggest thing that I have learned is how powerful fear is in driving our behaviors and our reactions and driving hate and um, hurtfulness. And uh, I, in the end, think that if we can't get control of that fear, fear of difference, really, anything different from what we know, if we can't get control of that, we're done as a species because the human race will only survive if we can come together as a community and see difference as what is going to keep us alive. We, if we're all the same, we don't have different skills we, and perspectives, we're not going to survive. And so the biggest lesson, I guess, has been, uh, I, I think we got to know what, what, what we're dealing with. And I think it's mostly fear. And I am always hopeful. I guess I would say I'm a realistic hoper. And um, I think we need a lot of help. I think, I think uh, we need to uh, people to get on the same page and realize that we're not each other's enemy. We're what's going to help each other survive. 
Yeah. I mean, as to what you said earlier about your clients, it's like it's turning up for the, for the fight, isn't it? Like now all of this ugliness that was always there, it can't be ignored anymore. So it's time for us now to, yeah, to fight, to create, to create a better future, I think. Yeah. But it would, I, it's completely understandable that we can drown in that feeling of hopelessness and the level of negativity. It's easy. I, I'm. I will admit that there are days that I felt overwhelmed. And that's when I, I, again, owning what I can, I have to shut off the news. I can't watch it all of the time. I, I have to say, I'm going to take care of myself now and I'm going to choose a goal to work on because really, you know, I, that old saying, all politics is local. Well, the good comes from, you start with your own life first. Um, and you can, again, you can control that. You, if you get caught up in, I've got to change the world, how do you even know where to start? Yeah, sure. Um, well, actually, my last question um, is always for one piece of advice. Uh, so this would be one piece of advice on starting to let shit go in 2020. <laughs> and, um, and I feel like that's a great piece of advice, isn't it? It's when you feel hopeless or helpless, trying to help somebody else is a really good place to start. Absolutely. And during lockdown in the United States, the one thing that really uh, helped my family get through is we delivered food to, we took it from the church and delivered it to people's houses, put it on their front porch. Um, It was not a big deal, but it felt so good to do something. And truly, there is a ton of research to suggest that doing good in the lives of others, really has so much benefit to your psyche. We have to. Yeah, and it, and it would have been a big deal to whoever received it, and no, no doubt. Um, and so, any 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 final closing advice on the idea of just of letting shit go and moving on? Yeah. Well, it's a. Um, I guess I do want to give the caveat again. This is not a primary treatment of. Uh, severe depression or bipolar disorder or trauma, it's not a replacement for getting a good therapist. So I I think the moving on is saying, guess what? I need help. Um, And I need to make sure and and get to the right place to get that help. And it's not being abusive, but it's reminding yourself that you have such a powerful role in your own life if you show up and it's again, showing up for the fight in your own life. This is a philosophy. It's not Mm -hmm. something, sometimes I teach uh, the techniques to people and uh, the next week they come back and say, okay, well, that was great, but it didn't work. And I usually laugh and say, wait a minute, you're confused. This is a, a philosophy. I have shown you the workout to do at the gym. You have to do it at the gym every day, and then you're going to get the physique that you want. Um, it's sort of that with your mind. So this is something not that you learn and you achieve. It's something that you practice for the rest of your life because you're fighting a brain that is wired to look for problems in order to survive. So you're fighting genetics, but it's doable. You again, just have to hold yourself accountable. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think remembering that yeah we have we always have more, we have more power than we think don't we we have more resilience than we think and hopefully the last few months has taught most of us that so it'd be great if we could then incorporate that into our lives going forward thank you for all of that so great to be reminded that um swearing and laughter can get us far <laughs> and hopefully help us help us through this uh, the rest of the year um and also thanks for being so honest about how you're dealing with all of this as well because i think that's really helpful for people to know well i'm happy to share and thanks for what you do and in, in uh sharing your podcast with everyone yeah i'm excited for everybody to hear it thank you so much jody thank you Well, I think that's the first time I've been allowed to call an interview guest a motherfucker, to their face anyway. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation, guys. We're not trying to belittle the events, the global events, because obviously they're huge. But when we're anxious, stressed or fearful, that negative voice in our heads can be so powerful that I think it's a good reminder that um, swearing and making light of things can actually really help us move forward and stop feeling stuck and afraid. All the books and references from the conversation, as well as a link to buy the book, Move On Motherfucker, Live, Laugh and Let Shit Go, are in the show notes. For more like this, check out and subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify, with new episodes released every Thursday evening. And you can also connect with the Shelf Help family online via Instagram or our awesome membership community, the Shelf Help Clubhouse. For in November, as a group, we're reading the Tony Robbins classic Awaken the Giant Within, but our next few meetups will be less about the book and more about checking in with each other and supporting the Shelf Help family. To find out more about all the ways to get involved and stay connected, head to our website, shelfhelp.club. Thanks for being here.